Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hello, everybody. I'm so excited to say that we are joined today by Angela Kim. She's the founder of Saber Beauty. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Hi, how are you, Jody? I am good. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. This is so cool. I'm really excited to talk to you about all things beauty and all things business. <laughs> well, um, we probably only have time to um, dig in a little bit as, um, you know, I'm sure this is a 24-7 business for you as it is for me. Um, yeah. But we can give our listeners a little bit, mm-hmm. a little taste of um, what it's really like behind the scenes, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, um, what I'd love to start off with is if you could just tell us a little bit about what Saver Beauty is and what it's all about. Okay, so Saver Beauty is an organic skincare line that's locally produced in the Hudson Valley, and it's based and inspired by Korean beauty rituals, which is obviously something I grew up with ever since I was a young child, just seeing my mom and my aunts really following a very strict, disciplined skincare regimen. And um, we have three locations for spas, one in the West Village, one in the Upper West Side. These are in New York City. And then one in the Hudson Valley in Saugerties, New York. And why beauty for you? Well, I think because I grew up with um, the Korean beauty rituals and watching, watching my mom and my aunts really take such amazing care of their skin, it was just sort of a non-negotiable in my household, you know, where my mom would really talk to us about taking care of your skin. She would always make that a priority in, in everything that we were doing. Um, and I think that um, one of the most important aspects of this, though, that really hits home for me is this permission for supreme self-care. So mm-hmm. I feel like with everything that um, we do with the skincare line, which is ritualized through a five-step process where we really teach women, how do you properly clean your face? You know, how do you hydrate your face for maximum um, moisture and hydration? And, you know, even with the spots, you know, taking that time to carve out non-negotiable me time just for yourself to take care of yourself is really, I think, a very beautiful act of self-care. Does your mother and aunt have very youthful looking skin? Oh my God. Like my mom now, I think she's like late sixties or maybe even early seventies. She won't tell me anymore, but she, people think she's like 45 or 50. I mean, it's crazy. They look gorgeous. And that's the thing. I think that, you know, K beauty is a huge industry, but people forget that it's really part of the culture just to take care of your skin. And they work at it. And so we're just trying to get the Western women to take a look at their skincare a little bit differently and to really work at it. And you too can have clear, gorgeous skin. Would you say that your skin looks useful like the rest of your family? Um, I don't know. I, I, people say, people think I'm younger than I am. (laughs) So I would say so. And I, I, but I'm a very typical New Yorker where I don't really have that much time to devote and to this. So I feel like what I've done with Savor Beauty, which is different um, from a lot of beauty lines, is taken that concept and of both beauty worlds, the Korean world, the Western world, the American world, and blended both philosophies of beauty together. So, yeah, I, you I know, take I, one minute I to asked my skin. I, um, I asked because I was having a conversation with my team today and we were 
talking about business development, you know, um, what it's like when we're in these meetings. And um, most of the time I'm in the meeting, I mean, all the time I'm in the meeting, I lead business development. Mm -hmm. And depending upon the workload of the team or the focus of the meeting, maybe some other team members will join just a few, but not, we don't, we don't do like the big dog and pony show. Like our team is working, like they're not just stopping Mm -hmm. business development meetings. But we were talking about the fact that um, I'm curious to know if the fact that I look younger than I am, it really impacts the way people take me and consider me, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've been, I'm almost mm-hmm. 42, but I think that, um, you know, I'm not knocking my good genes. I have incredible genes, but, um, yeah. you know, people probably think I'm more early thirties than early forties. Mm-hmm. And, um, we're mm-hmm. wondering if it's kind of getting in the way of, um, how, how much beauty expertise we really have, um, because the rest mm-hmm. of my team is around my age too. So it's just something you're thinking about, you know, um, you know, you're incredibly established, highly motivated, ambitious, and wondering if um, your youthful look um, changes the way people behave or think about you in the business. I don't know. Oh, um, I don't know. I think I'm just so, it's so not part of my psyche, like that piece of it. Like, I just feel like it's it's the confidence that comes out from within that matters most. So if I feel confident, I just feel like you can do anything and people will take you seriously. And it's all, you know, cause before I was in the beauty business, I was in the piano business, piano performance business. And so in that world, if you were younger, people took you more seriously. Isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. You know, like, are you, how young are you? Are you the piano prodigy? You know, and the older you were, the less hope you had, you know, so that's there. It's a very different opposite sort of reaction to youth and beauty and all that. But the one thing that was very important as a piano performer was as a pianist was your presence, your confidence, how you exuded, how you exuded that, that stage presence and how well you could captivate your audience. And so I think I've carried a little bit of that into the beauty world where it, that matters almost more than how you look, you know, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, um, I think it makes total sense and kind of funny that the younger you are in, in the business of being a performer, and I mean, I would think this probably holds true for most performers in the public eye. The younger they are, yeah. the, the more incredible they, they appear. Um, yeah, this is just like a, a conversation we had 30 minutes ago, right? Like I yeah, so, I might have 10 mm-hmm. years of experience more than, you know, other people who are leaning into this similar to mine, but no one yeah. would know it. I mean, we say it, but I feel like they're looking at me thinking that I'm much younger, which is like kind of a funny thing to be saying. Like, wow, I don't look old enough. Um, and yeah. I'm not pursuing <laughs> at all the genes that I have. My The genes in my family are incredible. Everyone in my family yeah. looks very young. Um, but yeah. that is like, maybe we need to like cast a meeting with a bunch of older people. <laughs> right. So they yeah. start to believe it. <laughs> well, anyway, um, yeah. on another note, um, I know that you do a lot of mentoring and workshops for entrepreneurs in our business. And we have a lot of listeners who are either working at brands, thinking that they can go start their own or considering starting their own, or a lot of young founders um, just starting their businesses and sort of getting to the point where they're, you know, starting to make money, starting to, um, you know, make a way for themselves. And many of these people are bootstrapped, right? Which means that it's, they don't have big, um, you know, VC money behind them or corporate money behind them. It's, you know, whatever's in their bank account, um, whatever they were able to pull together. Um, you've described running the business as not for the faint of heart. So I'm curious mm-hmm. to know, um, you know, what, what advice you give to those bootstrap entrepreneurs as they're making their way through the early parts of their business? 
So, um, first of all, I will say that I think when you don't have literally a million dollars in your pocket, you know, your cre- your ability to be creative and to defy all odds is your million dollar ticket. So mm. I would say that trumps everything else in business, but more practically speaking, if you are going to launch a skincare business and there's so many people who want to launch a beauty business, color business, you know, a spa or, you know, you, the competition is fierce. It is so fierce. And if you don't launch with what I call a hook in mind, a very buzzy hook in mind, um, the fight is just going to be too hard, you know, to survive. You have to have that unique point of brand differentiation um, from the get-go, especially in today's world. When I launched, I didn't necessarily have to, you know what I mean? Like I was, it, it, this was like when I was dabbling in the beauty business back nine years ago, it was, you know, I was just doing it for fun as a hobby. And then I kind of opened up like a pop-up shop over the holidays in New York City and sold a lot of creams and it just sort of organically happened. But now the world is much more competitive in the organic you know, skincare, beauty world. And so mm-hmm. you better launch with that really amazing hook in mind that separates you from the rest of the people. So let me give you an example. Okay. So you say, what's a hook? Well, a hook is something that makes you so different. So Savor Beauty, we have Korean beauty rituals from my background. Um, you have, I'm sure this is something that you work on all the time, Jody. right? Helping these brands really develop new hooks. If you're going to be a deodorant um, line, what what's going to make you different? You know, are you based on probiotics? Do you have some sort of Manuka honey? Are you New Zealand product <laughs> and you base it on Manuka? I mean, there's just got to be something that's so interesting, so different that makes you memorable. Right. So do you feel like this is something that um, you know, ex-lawyers and doctors and people who weren't in the industry who decide they're going to start their own brand. Do you think this is something that there's um, even an awareness around? You mean like if you're a lawyer or you're a doctor and you're like, ah, I think I want to do something a little easier with my life. I'm going to launch a beauty brand. You mean exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I will say that if you're a lawyer, your your life will be a lot more interesting versus reading all those contracts all the time. And you're definitely not a, averse to, you know, hard work. But I think, you know, definitely you have to launch with what is that value proposition? Who's doing your branding? How are, if you don't know anything about the business, you know, how are you going to go into it so that you have the end user in mind? You know what I mean? It's got to be super sticky, super um, buzzy, super interesting and beautiful and gorgeous to really make a difference in the beauty world. And also, like, why contribute to the landfill? You know what I mean? Like, why are you launching a beauty product? Like, you better have that inner passion and that real belief that there's something there. You know, like, what are you going to, how are you going to make a difference with your brand? Don't just launch another skincare line. Don't waste your time. But if you have something very important to say through your brand, then there's then that makes sense to me. We um we you know we get phone calls and meet people all the time, and um, a lot of times we're meeting people that you know aren't at the right stage in their business to work with us. But you know I, I love talking to people. I'll talk to anybody um, about their business, and um, I meet a lot of people who 
Um, you know, they didn't come from like a strategic beauty company and started their own. You know, they come from other worlds and they've, they've spent all their money, every money that they have, dollar that they have in some sort of product development. Now they have their product and their, their expectation is if I build it, they will come, right? If I make the product, mm-hmm. if I make 10,000 of these on our lipsticks, let's say, um, then mm-hmm. they'll, somebody will buy them and the business will mm-hmm. flourish and I'll make more lipsticks. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I really call this, this mentality around if you build it, they will come. You know, it's very backwards, right? Because um, yeah. it's not true. Like time right. and time right. again, oh, I've met people, right, they spent thousands and tens of thousands of dollars building something um, and with no, no place for it to live and no knowledge around how to, how to move it forward. Um, and I, yeah. I noticed that that's the biggest struggle. It doesn't seem like it's so hard. I mean, it's, I'm sure it's time-intensive and, and expensive to do product development, but there's a lot of partners there, right? There's a lot of labs to work with. There's a lot of ways to get advice. But then what, right? And I, I we find yeah. that that's a, that's a really um, big question, right? So um, then what? Yeah. yeah. So what, would, what so do you tell what? people it's after like, that? Well, first of all, um, the inventory business is a really tough business. Because you have there, the cash outlay is enormous. So if you're going to put out, you know, for 10,000 units, you know, what is the plan to sell through those? What is the, yeah, that's, yeah, be careful with that because the inventory business is a really very tricky business on how are you going to move through it? Are you going to sell through Sephora? Okay, great. So you're going to get into Sephora. Let's say you've got all your branding all of your value proposition, all of your unique spins, all of your value hooks, your PR, uh, all that stuff that's in place. So that got you into Sephora. Okay, fantastic. Now what? Well, now that it's got to move through, like velocity of sales is really important. Getting into Sephora, getting into one, a major retailer um, is like one tenth of the value. Now you've got to have, you got to prove that you're beyond a one hit wonder and are people going to, do you have enough brand awareness to like really help sell through so that the customer, the clients are coming in and wanting to buy more and more? And how sticky is it? Or is it going to catch on? Are their friends going to go buy it? Are they going to, you know, there's just a lot of questions, <laughs> a lot yeah, of things. You know, in the past few years, like, I guess, um, you know, more of the private equity frenzy, I guess, started what, like three years ago-ish, maybe a little bit more. So since then, and since there's been like so much more interest in people who are not in beauty, um, investing in beauty, there's been this like churn, right? It's like kind of frenetic now. So many brands, so many people, money being thrown around, right? Expectations and growth goals. And um, what's happened in the past, I guess, a year is um, there's smaller brands growing quicker because they have access to more capital, easier access to capital. Um, And they're coming to us with that question that you just stated, which is now that we have our PO from Sephora or Ulta or QVC or wherever, what do we do now? <laughs> right. And that's yeah. when we say, well, like, now the real work begins. Like now this is, now this mm-hmm. is real. Um, and mm-hmm. that's what we've been helping brands with because they've, they're so focused on product development that they're completely unprepared for the incredible amount of energy and resources devoted to building awareness, telling stories, mm-hmm getting people pumped mm-hmm. and excited in local markets, right? Like grass, what's the grassroots look like versus like the bigger um, national mm-hmm. kind of campaigns. And that could be on social, right? It doesn't have to be paid media, but what does that look like and sound like? Um, and mm-hmm. that's been kind of like a new pocket of work for us, which we wasn't, we weren't <laughs> experiencing years ago, years ago, we were supporting brands with retail distribution. <laughs> now we're supporting mm-hmm. brands new to retail mm-hmm. distribution um, and don't know what to do with it. Right. Really fascinating. And I 
you know, so right now we are in the middle of July and the Tour de France is happening, you know, out in France. And I always, I say, you know, product development is 10%. And as soon as it hits the shelves, that's when the Tour de France for you starts as a brand where it's three weeks of just riding a bike through a mountain and it's tough. You know, it's tough. Tune in to the Tour de France and you'll see how tough it is, right? So you're, you're just like that journey has just begun. You, you, congratulations, you've reached that 10% mark. Now the, now the hard work begins 90% more, right? So it's all exciting. And I hate to sound negative. I don't mean to sound negative, but I want to be a realist, you know, that it's um, half the battle to get into the store, but then now the brand awareness begins, the stickiness, the social media campaigns, the PR campaigns, and it's a lot of money. You know what I mean? Like a PR firm, a good one is not chump change and learning how to do PR. Now that's a whole different thing, Jody. Like that's, woo, I could talk for days on PR, you know, like don't think that your product is newsworthy. Uh-uh. Like there's got to be a story around it. Like what is your story around it and how are you getting it out there? And, um, you know, in ways in more than one way. Right. So there's so much around yeah. PR that we could talk about, So we won't even open up that can of worms. <laughs> Well, um, you know, it makes me curious to know, um, did you, did you know this stuff when you started or is this just, are these things that you've learned along the way that you pass on to others? Totally learned along the way. You know, like I remember when I first launched, I didn't even know what marketing was, you know, cause I was a concert pianist. Right. So mm-hmm. I knew how to create an excellent product. I knew how to make a product that people would clamor and love, right. Clamor for and love. But I didn't know anything about PR. I didn't know anything about branding, nothing about um, marketing. And then as we got into it and I got serious about business, I quickly assessed the playing field. And I was like, okay, all right, this, we've just begun. The product has just launched. And now there's a really long endurance road ahead of us, you know, and we better learn the game really fast or bow out. And since bowing out is not an option, we got to learn it, you know, and so as long as you're really having fun along the way, as long as you're really learning the ropes and, you know, um, learning from experts and learning from your mistakes, I really think that the journey can be a lot, a lot of fun and it can be really exciting as well. Did you have any mentors or guides through the process earlier in the business when you're you know, still trying to figure this all out? Um, no. And that was a mistake. I, you know, my biggest guides, my biggest guides and mentors were really my customers, you know, because I opened up my first shop and I just sat in there and I was like, oh my gosh, we got to up our game here. And I would just listen to them. And I would, um, my employees, as we started to build our dream team, you know, I would listen to them as well and read a lot of books. I wish we would have, um, I would have had the gumption to know to hire a coach or, hire someone else to help us get there faster. Um, Mm -hmm. But as you said earlier in this podcast, when you're bootstrapping, sometimes you just have to, it takes a little longer. Yeah. And you also don't know what you don't know until it's almost too late to know it. (laughs) You know, it's like, you don't, you don't even know what questions to ask until like you're faced with the question that's sort of an emergency situation. Um, You know, it, it took me years. I mean, I've been running my business for 10 years and I would say it took me like, eight years to realize that um, people do want to help 
And then I could reach out to some stranger who I admire and um, introduce myself. And they very likely will talk with me and they very likely will throw free advice and best practices at me. Um, and I didn't know that I was like a loner. You know, I really thought that if, if I wasn't born with the relationships or, you know, didn't know them already, that that's it. You know, I was on my own. And um, slowly I learned that I can just reach out to people. I actually linked in, like I sent like a LinkedIn request to meet with, to introduce myself to a few people that I admired. And many of them, like really many of them responded. I had coffees and people that like, I was like, you know, they're like marketing rock stars and they're meeting me for coffee mm-hmm. and um, giving me feedback and advice. And um, that really changed everything for me. Like being able mm. to know that there's people, other people to talk to. Right. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, you know, even when, um, so now we're available on NeimanMarkets.com, but even when we decided, okay, we want to partner with Neiman, like I spoke with people at Neiman Marcus and I asked them questions. I was like, what success looks like to you? How does this work? How does this machine work? I took like seven pages of notes, you know, and so I'm a big fan of what you just talked about, you know, just trying to, I call that finding the ninja who can help you, you know, mm-hmm. like, who, let's say if you want to sell your company one day and you want to sell it to X company, can you talk to somebody in that company that's in acquisitions and say, what would it take for you guys to buy me in three to five years? So that that would shortcut your, your trajectory, right? If you just know if that's your goal, then just find out how to get there faster. Right. So, well, that's so interesting that you say that because I feel like I've spent so much time wondering what is, what is, what is the path, right? Instead of just like directly calling or emailing or LinkedIn somebody and saying like, what does it take to work with you? Right. What does it take to do this? Um, and spending so much time in fantasy land in my head around it Mm -hmm. versus just taking Mm -hmm. action and asking like that kind of uh, mind blowing to hear you say it so simply, but um, it's so true. Just ask. Right. Yeah, totally. Like, I think that's what, that's, I, that's why I call it the ninja. It's like, if you find somebody, that's how I've landed most of our accounts. That's how I've been able to go a little faster is when I see something I want, I just ask someone who knows that's an insider and they'll just provide that blueprint um, that you just follow after, you know? Uh, That is a a genius, simple idea and probably something that, um, people don't do because they think that they're not going to get an answer or response. Would you say that most of the time people are willing to help? um, I think it's very important how you structure the email, you know, because I think most people who are very successful get tons of emails that says, hi, can I pick your brain? And Mm -hmm. there's nothing more annoying than to hear someone say, can I pick your brain? And so I think it's really important. I call it give, give, get where, you give them, you, you know, when you're reaching out to someone, like, can you, it's very important you to, for you to find out what's in it for them. And so I don't know, like when people, if people follow me, they know I love food. So if they say to me, Hey, Angela, I'll take you out to this amazing restaurant for lunch. And, it's, and we could talk about whatever. Um, I would like, I might say yes. You know what I mean? Or if like when I've reached out to somebody within the field, I'll just say, you know, if there's anything I can do to support you, help you, I would love to do that. I have a couple of questions. Can you take a little time? I think it's really important how you approach people to get them to say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's also a numbers game. You know, one out of 10 people are going to say yes. So if you need to talk to someone, put a lot, plant a lot of seeds and someone's bound to say yes, you know, but I think it's very important to structure that as a win-win versus can I just pick your brain, you know? 
Yeah. Does that make sense? Genius. Right. So like if, yeah. Jody, if like, so Jody, if somebody who's young and wants to launch a business like yours, just reach out and said, Hey Jody, I was wondering if I could pick your brain. You'd probably be like, you know what? I don't really have time for someone to pick my brain. But if someone reached out and said, Hey Jody, um, you know, I've been following you for a really long time. I love what you've built. Um, you know, if there's anything I can do to help you, or I'm writing an article about X, Y, and Z, and I'd love to feature you. And I'm wondering if I can take you out to lunch so that I could ask you a couple questions as well. You'd more likely to say yes to that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Cause it, right. They, that person's making an investment in you and you, right. It's, um, it's, right. it's an exchange, like you said. Um, yeah. I, I love how crisp and clear you, um, you express these ideas because they're really simple, right? It's very simple as a human behavior, right? Like I want to give you something I'm going to ask for something too and just want to put it out there so that it's like even Steven and um, it's, it's very natural, but in the process of like a business owner during like all the self doubt and insecurity and financial challenges, Mm -hmm. that stuff doesn't feel as easy. Right. But it's super Mm -hmm. clear. Like if you ask enough people, someone's going to respond, um, take the time with you. And, um, You know, I guess we should also say, I mean, this is sort of like, a, I guess, a note for people new to any industry that um, if someone doesn't respond to your email, it's not, it's not personal. Um, it's not personal. It's not a slight. No. Right. And then sometimes it's like, a, okay, so like, let's say like a PR pitch, right? So let's say you're reaching out to an editor or something. It's totally not personal. And then it's about the follow-up. I think it's much more about the follow-up than it is about the initial email. It's like, Hey, Jody, so let's say you didn't respond to my, my, you know, offer for coffee. Hey, Jody, I know you're so super busy. Um, I saw on Instagram that you are going to be coming to, let's say you live in Vermont. I don't, I'm just making up something right out of my mm-hmm. rear, rear end. Um, I saw that you're coming to Vermont and I live in Burlington, Vermont. I'd love to take you out and show you, you know, around, or I'd love to take you out to my favorite restaurant um, to get to know you and see how we can support each other. You know, things like that. Like I think without getting too skeevy and, and, you know, creepy about talking people, I think <laughs> it's just about making it easy, you know, making it super easy to meet with that person. And then following up is really key. Yeah, you know, I've been I've been reading a lot of business books because um, I, you know, I spent great. a lot of a, alone time in my work. head. Yeah. <laughs> I spent so much time yeah. alone in my head. So it's nice to hear someone else's thoughts. And um, the follow-up was something that it was a, biz, a book about business development and they were writing about follow-up. So like um, a lot of people, I guess this, you know, big mistake is people will put out a feeler to somebody or like have an initial conversation with someone um, and then it never goes anywhere. And mm-hmm. if you don't follow up on that, whether you're asking for, you know, free advice or whether you're asking for work or whatever, if you don't circle back with them in new ways often, uh, what you've done is you laid the groundwork for an idea in their head and you're giving the chance for someone else to swoop in and use that idea and that opportunity mm-hmm. for, you know, right, that totally. job or whatever you're looking for. Um, and it's something when I read it, I was like, oh, <laughs> so that's what I'm doing wrong. Because it's like, <laughs> I was that person who'd send out the 20 emails, right? Like, oh, right. let's talk or whatever. And then, you know, maybe try again, um, you know, if there was no response and then just forget about it forever. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of amazing when you're talking about the importance of follow-up. And after reading this in this book, it's like, wow, like every single time I don't follow up, I'm giving somebody else that work or that opportunity, right? Or that right. story. Um, totally. and that you, yeah. you're saying it's like the number one thing and I completely agree with you. It's, it's a right. really interesting insight. Yeah. And, and following up is, is a PIA pain in the, you know what, because 
Uh Um, you have to be very organized. So I think, you know, there's got to come a time where you either come up with that whole system of how am I going to follow up, whether it's very, you know, and I think when you're in business, it's all about finding, identifying your weakness and coming up with a solution to it. So for example, I'm not good at follow-up, right? I just am not, I, I don't have a system. So what I've done is every time I know I have to follow up, I put it in my Google calendar and I say, follow up with mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z. And then it's just part of my Google calendar. That works for me. It's very simple, but I think finding what works for you is really key. Yeah. I, um, you know, I'm kind of laughing inside during this call because I want to adopt you as my business development person or coach or something. It's like, wow. It's like, I just, I just need a little answer in my ear, like once every three hours during the course of the business day. Um, Because everything you're saying makes so much sense. And I'm so grateful that our listeners are going to be able to benefit from this um, because it's really rich material. Um, But I want to, I want to, I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, Okay. When we first spoke, you told me um, about the power of saying no Um, and that saying no to things helped propel you to where you wanted to be and ultimately growth. Can you tell our listeners what that means and some examples of how saying no helped you grow? Yeah. Okay. So did I use an example with you in our pre-call? I think so. Okay. All right. So, I mean, I have so many examples, so I can, I just didn't know if there was one that you were alluding to. So I definitely saying no is saying yes to your bigger dream. So when you're in business, there are going to be so many things that come your way that are just mere shiny objects or distractions. And someone like me or, you know, someone who's very creative is going to be very attracted to that new shiny thing. And the best gift you can give to yourself is to have a very strong vision that excites you, juices you up, gets you so excited. And that vision is what you need to keep your eye on, right? That keep your eye on that ball. And then everything else that comes to you that is not in line with that vision is a distraction. So if you're saying yes to all these other things, your vision becomes more blurry. But if you keep your eye on that vision and every opportunity that comes your way, you say, well, does that go toward my vision or is that detracting from it? That's going to be your biggest battle as an entrepreneur or as the CEO of your company, right? So Can you give I'm going to give you an example. Yes. Okay. So an example is my vision is very much about skincare, helping people to learn how to do self-care in a New York minute using Korean beauty rituals. And so anything that's not part of the skincare aspect or the face aspect, we're just going to say no to in the future. So in, in the spas, we offer massage. And um, that was something I said yes to early on because I love massage. I'm obsessed with massage. I need a massage almost every week. And I love that we offer it. But it is no longer in our vision to offer it. And it's become harder and harder for us to be able. We have so much request for it. I mean, mm-hmm. You know, we have club members that are in the massage club member or club um, membership. We have a lot of people calling for massage, but it's not in line with our um, vision. So we've decided to not offer it for bridal spa parties anymore, for wedding parties. We're just offering only skincare, um, facials, makeup, everything that has to do with the face because the massage part was a distraction. It was hard to book the massage therapist and it was taking us off our main view our our main vision, Mm -hmm. right? So that's hard to say no, especially if you're making money from it. 
it's really hard, but to focus on what you ultimately want is going to get you there faster, you know? Yeah. I mean, it must be such a challenging pivot point though, to say like, we're booking X number of massages a month. That's X amount of money in our pocket. Um, yeah. It's also, <laughs> you know, time for those therapists to be paid, right? It's good work for right. them. Um, yeah. And to know, and to, I guess to have the confidence that like, you're going to make it up, you know, more than make it up yeah. by focusing on face. But it's scary. Right. It's so scary. And so we're right now in that transition of really making it much more about the face and making that the focal point. Um, you know, uh, you could even say this about hiring. Let's say you've got a vision of your ideal team member. You know, as you're building your dream team, you cannot you cannot scale, you cannot operate at your best unless you're leaning on really amazing people to be able to, to um, develop and live out your plan, right? So um, it used to be sort of like, and I'm going to say this and I'm, I'm half joking, but this was how it was early on where we would be so like, I'd feel so desperate to hire, to heal our pain point, you know? So it'd be like, oh my God, we're short staff. We need help. We need help. And it used to be, if you breathe and you fart, you're hired, you know? (laughs) And I mean, it was like that early time. And then we had to learn the hard way that you hire the wrong person. It is so expensive you, you train and you pour all this energy and resources into the wrong person. It's a mistake. So, and it's an expensive mistake. So we've really strengthened our whole company culture. Who are we looking for? What is the ideal employee and dream team member? And then we have all these hiring systems along the way where if you don't pass these markers for success, you're not hired. And it's a longer process. It takes, you have to say no so many times, but you're saying yes to the ideal member. You know what I mean? I do. And it's genius. And it makes me think about, um, in my own business, like knowing I needed a certain type of experience level and specialty and we couldn't afford like a full timer that way. So instead of like just not having anybody or hiring someone who's junior, who just doesn't have like what it takes to get that job done, we hired a freelancer, a contractor. So like, sure, we can't hire her full time, but we get we get what we need from her, which is amazing talent and vision and Mm -hmm. follow through. And, you know, ultimately, hopefully, you know, at one point she will be able to become a full-timer, but Mm -hmm. instead of just hiring a junior person, because that's all we could afford, we, we refocused, right. We were, we made the expertise, the most important factor and um, found a way around it. Um, and I would so say earlier in our business, we just probably hired anybody, anybody and tried to put that square peg in that round hole. Like I just tried to right. jam it in there, right? And <laughs> take that square peg, but I shove it in that round hole as hard as I can yeah. until like a breaking point, you know? Um, right. So what you're talking about is, is actually, what you're talking about is actually really, really important. So I want to pause to like kind of dissect what you just said. So what you just said was, is actually quite genius. So that's something that we've implemented in my company as well, because we can't afford to bring on, you know, a $250,000 sales director per year. So what we've started to do is hire consultants um, on contract, right? Because it's it's very expensive to bring them on as as employees. So we Mm -hmm. bring them on people who have proven, proven success records, right? Proven. You've built this develop, you've, you've shown that you can do this, right? But oftentimes, Jody, those people 
don't like to implement. They don't like to do the grunt work. They like to do the strategy work anyway. So if you brought them on full time, you'd sort of be throwing your money out the window because if you don't have time to hire the assistants, the department and the usual structures that usually help this person to be successful, game over. So what we've found is if we bring them on on a strategy level and then we hire an assistant or somebody that they train within the company that's an employee of ours at 15 to $20 an hour versus paying them $250 an hour, whatever, um, that that's a very smart way to build business if you're on a budget. So we've started, yeah, we've done you know, that within my company. And you know, what I find is, um, you know, a lot of these people are my age and they, they don't want a full-time job anymore. <laughs> like they're just, they're done with the, the corporate stuff. Mm-hmm. And this happens time mm-hmm. and time again, we get so many people coming to us because of our, our culture, like our culture really supports contractors. We're, we operate virtually, right? So they fit right in. Um, Mm -hmm. like naturally fit right in without trying to struggle. Um, and people want flexibility in their life, right? They want to be able to call the shots. They want to decide when they're going to be working and not working. Um, so we're able to take advantage of the great talent and the time they want to work. Um, and yet of course they have the power to say, no, thank you. And they want, um, Mm -hmm. and it is the way it is, right? There's, there's, it's either that, or I work by myself most of the time, which, um, I don't Mm -hmm. like. Um, and I can't yeah. do this without a team. So, um, yeah. you know, we, we've taken advantage of so many incredible insights, Angela, and um, I feel like we could talk once a month and not get to all of them. And I just <laughs> want to say how grateful I am for, on behalf of our listeners oh, for these incredible you. insights. And I hope that this is an episode that entrepreneurs listen to again and again, because there's so many incredible golden nuggets in here. This is awesome. Oh, thank you so much, Jody, for your time. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.